We are uh, in our series of words about struggles. We, this is word number four in this series. Uh, we have the whole year mapped out. There's flyers on the, the tape, uh, foyer tables if you're interested in uh, figuring out what words we're going to be going through. We've talked about worry and suffering and shame in this series. Now we come to grief. Now, worry, suffering, and shame. I want to focus on the three words that we did before. There's a difference between those three words and grief. We're going to talk about grief this morning. Unlike the other words, worry, suffering, and shame, God empathizes with grief. Now, God doesn't worry because worry requires what? Worry requires a lack of knowledge. God knows everything. There's no need for him to be worried. He knows all things and can do all things. Suffering is an interesting word in a broad encompassing. I guess if you could say that God grieves, he can suffer in a general sense, but God does not feel pain. God does not feel fatigue. God does not get sick, right? So this idea of suffering in a physical sense, at least. Shame. God does not feel shame because shame requires what? Shame requires sin, right? And he does not sin. But grief is a struggle, when I say struggle, not that he is limited in some way, but it is a feeling that God empathizes with. We can think about some of these verses that talk about God's grief, Genesis 6, 5 through 6. As we read, we're going to read three verses. Keep in your minds, what does God grieve? What makes God grieve? Because it's going to come up later on. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Every intention of his thoughts uh, of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. What grieved him? Well, the sin of man, right? Uh, their continual sinful nature. Isaiah 63, 9 and 10, in his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. Talking about Israel, he lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. Again, we see a similar thing that causes him grief. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. We are commanded not to grieve the Spirit because he can grieve. So we clearly state at the beginning of this lesson, to grieve is not sinful. We, want, we need to understand that. And, and like the words that we've looked at before, okay, we looked at worry. There is some worry that is sinful, but worry by its very nature is not necessarily sinful. To be concerned about, to have uh, concern, deep concern in your mind about something. Because we looked at concern that we have for one another. Concern that we have for the church. I'm worried about you. That's a good kind of worry. There is kinds of worry that is bad. Suffering, again, to suffer is not sinful. We understand that. Because Jesus suffered. To grieve is not sinful. But, like the other words... Grief can be something, it can turn into something that leads us away from God. Like worry, suffering, and shame, grief can be isolating. I, I, I'm sure that those of you who have felt deep grief in your life, maybe over the loss of a loved one or over a life situation or over a disease or, or some sort of circumstance in your life, it is easy to feel like no one understands the grief that you feel. And of course, that's made worse by what? The bumbling attempts of others. Others that are, are trying, they maybe have good intentions, but their attempts to comfort you leave you feeling worse. Because they don't know what to say, they don't know what to do. In some ways, it's easier to withdraw than to try to be around others in our grief. Why? 
because our grief is ever present in our minds. It affects every aspect of our being, everything that we do. And other people don't understand. And then it makes other people uncomfortable that I'm feeling grief because they don't feel grief. And, and you know what? I'd just rather avoid the whole business and I'll just be by myself. That is the natural tendency of those who are grieving. And in times like this, we need to remember who is lurking. I like the word lurk. It has a little bit of a negative connotation, right? Lurking for nefarious purposes. We know who that is, right? Who's waiting in our grief. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around. He used the word prowl instead of lurks here. Like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in the faith. It's interesting what Peter says here. The devil is waiting for us, watching for us, wanting to eat us. What does he say after that? Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What is the thing that leads us to be in danger of the lion? It is suffering, right? He tells us the suffering is the thing that is putting you in danger of this prowling lion. He is waiting for you to isolate yourself in your grief. Because then you become an easy meal. We know the lions on the savannah, right? They look around at the, the different animals out on the savannah and they are waiting for the straggler, the one who is alone, the one who is injured, the one who is easy prey. That's how the devil is with us. Satan wants our grief to metastasize. I use the word that evokes cancer, right? Because grief can become like a tumor in our soul. And it can metastasize into anger, bitterness, and resentment of God. We ask questions like, why would God allow this to happen? What did I do wrong? It's important to remember that Jesus himself was tempted towards this outcome. Jesus, who felt grief, could have gone down this path of letting his grief lead to anger and bitterness and ultimately selfishness. Matthew 26, 37 through 39, he began to be very sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now we see some more emphasis in this in 27, verse 45. We think about the isolating nature of grief. Jesus on the cross experiencing this. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words that I'm sure, I know, people in this room have cried out to God. Because grief makes us feel alone. Like Jesus felt alone. And yet I want to note, the grief that Jesus endured could have led him into a path that was against God's will. Because we read previously in Matthew 26, back in the garden, Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I could not appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Might I suggest that the grief of Jesus could have led him into a path I don't want to deal with it. I don't like what's happening to me. I feel too bad about this. Let's just be done. On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Might I suggest that is the moment that our salvation is most at risk. Because what is the natural tendency at that moment for Jesus? You have forsaken me, get me out of here. 
Send those angels. Wipe them all out. Our grief can lead us away from God. The endurance, the, the example of Jesus was that in his grief, he persisted in faith. Grief is a natural response to suffering, but the question then becomes, because of the struggle that comes from grief, how do we overcome it? What do we do to overcome this struggle? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Like he felt alone, you feel alone. Like he didn't want to endure what he was going through. You feel like you don't want to endure what you're going through. Like he felt that he shouldn't have to. You feel like you shouldn't have to. God, why is this happening to me? Let something else happen. Please don't make me do this. As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And we see the first thing here. How do we overcome the struggle of grief? Number one, don't let grief isolate you. If there's one thing to take from this sermon, only one. Now we're going to talk about some other stuff. But if you're going to just tune out or fall asleep, listen to this at least. Don't let grief isolate you. The natural tendency might be in our grief to withdraw. To be by ourselves. We don't want to deal with other people. Other people don't get it. And that's true. I understand. Other people, are, we said it in class, we're, we don't understand. We have so much limited understanding but if you let grief isolate you, if you let it make you withdraw, you lose what God has given you to overcome it. And that is the comfort of others. You lose this avenue of God's comfort and become easy prey for the prowling lion. And if you've experienced grief in the past, I might I suggest as we think about this verse, if you've experienced grief in the past, you need to be considering how can you use that grief to overcome, help others overcome? To help others feel that comfort. You know what comforted you. What are you doing to help those who are grieving now? 1 Thessalonians 4.13 We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Who's that? The others who have no hope, that's not the other Christians, right? That's people who are not Christians. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, this instruction concerns a specific source of grief, right? The death of a loved one. That's what they're struggling with here, right? That those who have fallen asleep is those who have died. And they were worried what's going to happen with them when Jesus comes back. Now, the grief, he understands this, right? That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. It is natural for the death of loved ones to cause you to grieve. That's okay, but we understand that. But our grief should be different than those without God or his people. Our grief should have a different flavor, tenor, feeling than those who grieve without God. Why? Because we understand what? We understand the temporary nature of our grief. He's grieving very much. It's very sad. Our grief is temporary. Those in the world who grieve, they, under, they don't feel any sense of that this will end. Well, it will end, I guess, even those in the world, they understand it'll end at death, right? They understand that. 
For us, we don't just think that grief lasts until death. We understand that grief lasts maybe until death, but then it is resolved. It is overcome. It is strengthened. It is washed away because of what? The hope that we have in Jesus. We grieve over the loss of loved ones and that grief persists until we die, maybe. You feel definitely the loss. But then the promise, the hope is that what? You will feel that comfort in eternity. You'll be reunited. You feel bad now. We understand that. That doesn't make the grief any less. But it should change how that grief affects us. Because we know that our grief is something that will be not just ended at death. Because technically grief, I guess, will end for everyone at death. But it will be reversed at death. That the very source of our grief will be resolved in death when Jesus returns. Psalm 23, verse 4, probably read, oh man, how, this may be the verse that's most read at funerals in the history of our civilization. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I will feel no, fear no evil. Let's put the will in there. That's important. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now this is trite but true. And, and you know, one of the things that people say in grief and you sort of feel like, ah, you just don't understand. When you say God's with you, don't worry, God's with you. Yes, we understand that's trite and maybe you don't want to hear it, but I hate to break it to you. It's a biblical idea, right? You need to hear it. Whether you want to hear it or not in your grief, you need to hear it. God is with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what is that if not grief? Suffering and struggle that we have in life, the very shadow of death, we feel that we might die at any moment. What does he say? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. What prevents us from feeling him there in the valley of the shadow of death? Well, as we've stated already, when we isolate ourselves, that prevents us from feeling his presence. When we stop praying, when we stop reading his word, when we stop turning to him for comfort. We could ask it the other way around, right? What can we do to more fully experience his presence in our grief? Well, the things that we stop doing that leads us to feel isolated, those are the very things we need to do more. Spending more time with his people. Spending more time in prayer. Spending more time in his word. This is the way we feel his presence in grief. Finally, we must ask, as we have with worry and shame and suffering, with these are the words that we've been studying, what makes you feel grief? Now, we understand, of course, the general human principle of grief. You feel grief over the loss of loved ones. You feel grief over difficult life circumstances. You feel grief over missed opportunities. You feel grief over broken relationships. We understand all of that. Those are universal human experiences. But might I suggest that there should be an element of our grief that transcends what everybody else feels. Because God feels grief. What makes him feel grief? We said this already, right? What makes him feel grief? When people forsake him, as in Genesis 6, right? Their thought of man was evil continually. They did not listen to God. When his children refused to obey him, he feels grief. When he feels or when he sees his people suffer, Jesus is wandering around in the uh, his ministry, and he sees the suffering of others, and he's moved with compassion towards them, right? He sees they are like sheep without a shepherd. He feels sorrow because his people are suffering. When we think about Jesus' grief, we think about John 11, the death of his friend. The shortest verse in the Bible, right? You know it. We all know it. What is it? Jesus wept. 
because he felt grief over the death of his friend. When people refused to listen to God's truth, Mark 3, 5, we're not going to read it. He was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Of course, the trial that he had to endure made him feel grief. And so we ask the question, what makes you, what makes us feel grief? Certainly we feel grief over loss and suffering. I'm not denying that. This is good and right, exemplified by Jesus again. But part of becoming like Jesus is that we start being grieved by the things that grieve God. That we feel sorrow and sadness for the same reasons that God feels sorrow and sadness. Our sin and rebellion should grieve us. What does Peter say in Acts 2.38, right? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But why did he say that? He said that because in the previous verse, they heard all the sermon about what Jesus did, and they were cut to the heart. And they asked, what shall we do? What does cut to the heart mean if not grieved? They were grieved that they had rejected Jesus the Messiah. Our sin should grieve us. You should feel grief over your rejection of God. And you should also feel grief then over others' sin and rebellion. The lostness of other people should make you feel grief. Now, the natural tendency is, and I understand this temptation, this struggle, you look at other people who are, not, who are not listening to God, who are maybe persecuting the church, and the natural tendency is to sort of have this attitude, <laughs> you're going to get yours, don't. Just you wait, you're going to see. When Jesus comes back, the idea of vengeance, right? Might I suggest that's not how God feels about those people? It's going to happen because of God's justice and wrath. But our first instinct towards the others who are lost, even those who are persecuting the church, our first instinct should not be seeking vengeance. Our first instinct should be sorrow over people who are lost and need God. Do you feel grief over those who are lost? More physically, do you feel grief over the pain of others? We're it's easy to be so focused on my pain, my sorrow, my suffering that I forget that if I have godly grief, if I have grief like God, like Jesus, the suffering of others should cause me grief and not just my own. As we become like Jesus, our sense of grief will, and I should say should, right, change like every other part of ourselves. The new man, the new creation, we've put off the old self, we put on the new that is all-encompassing, total newness, including my sense of grief, both in my understanding of the temporary nature of it and the sources of my grief. What makes me grief? But along with that change comes the greatest comfort. We already read the first part of 2 Corinthians 1. We will finish with the next part. As we see the purpose of grief in our lives, 2 Corinthians 1, 5 through 10. As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Notice in both places, no matter what's happening to Paul, he's thinking about it. How can I use this to comfort someone else? If I'm suffering, how can I use that to comfort others? But if I'm comforted, how can I use that to comfort others? 
which you are experiencing when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer, our hope for you is unshaken. We know that as you share in our sufferings, you will share in our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. What does Jesus say in the garden? My soul is troubled even to death. What is Paul saying here? It's the same thing, right? They, the, the, the evangelists, those who were doing the, the mission work of the early church, they were burdened so much they were ready to die. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but what was the point of that grief? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. I know, not guessing, I know, because you are human, and we have a large enough group in our midst, that there are people in this room who are grieving deeply right now. At this very moment, as we are speaking, I know that there are people who are feeling grief. And the encouragement is, Christ understands. As we share in Christ's suffering, we share in his comfort. He gets it. Christ gets it, guys. He gets your suffering. The rest of us, maybe we're all bumbling fools. We don't know what to do, but he does. And the point is that you will not rely on yourself, but you will turn to God who raises the dead. Jesus' suffering ultimately was not resolved. His grief was not resolved in his earthly life. His grief in the garden, don't let me do this, culminating in the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was not given relief from that in life. He was given relief from that in the resurrection. And maybe that is what it's going to be for us. Those of us in this room who are grieving, maybe that grief will persist with us forever, but we understand that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will ultimately remove that grief. That grief will have resolution. It will have its satisfaction in the resurrection of the dead. If what? If we rely on God and not ourselves. The isolating nature of grief is exactly the opposite of that. When we isolate ourselves, we let grief remove us from God's people, remove us from him. We are relying on ourselves, right? I don't want to deal with other people. I'm just going to deal with myself. That's relying on ourselves. If you want to overcome grief, again, I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. Do not let your grief be alone. Turn to others who know, who understand. I mean, even if they don't understand, turn to others who can pray for you, who can comfort you, as we want to do, don't we? We want to comfort you, amen? Raise your hand if you would be willing to comfort those who are grieving. Maybe you don't know what to do, but it, just even sitting with those who are grieving. So many people in this room who want to help you. I don't know. Maybe it's you that I'm looking at right now. Maybe it's not. Don't cut yourself off from the comfort that God gives us. And so the invitation is very simple, right? If you're grieving now, please come and let us know how we can help. Ultimately, the grief that comes from sin, hopefully, is the thing that might be the impetus that causes you to come, to be united with him, if that is your need. Come while we stand and sing.